Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Wednesday, the 5th of July, with me, Bernadette Anderko. For those of you who were listening yesterday, you'll know that this week we're taking a deep dive into our equity market strategy for the remainder of 2023. On Friday, Kelly Chow will be on the show to talk specifically about Asian equities, but we're kicking off more generally today with our head of equity strategy, Mathieu Rachete. But first, we'll have the roundup of what's been moving markets with my colleague, John T. Warris. Good morning, John T. Good morning, Bernadette. Well, John, to the US markets might have been closed for Independence Day yesterday, but plenty of other markets remained open. So I'm sure you've still got lots to report. Um, I noticed a lot of headlines alluding to disappointing Chinese data this morning. And in fact, that wasn't the only data we've had in the last 24 hours. So perhaps you could start with the recent data releases. Sure, gladly. Well, yes, yesterday was pretty light in terms of data, but we did see Canadian manufacturing PMI data for June released, which dipped to 48.8 in June from 49 in May. A reading below 50 here indicates contraction in the sector. Overnight, we had data out of Japan where its services PMI reading fell to 54 last month from a record high at 55.9 in May, showing that Japan's services activity maintained an energetic pace of growth. And we also saw India's service sector growth weaken to a three-month low, according to a private business survey on Wednesday, despite prices rising at their quickest pace in nearly six years. But, Bernadette, you mentioned it before, what's really moving markets is China. China published its private sector Kaishin Services PMI data, which hit a five-month low in June. And this shows particular vulnerability in what was once a resilient sector of its massive economy. Okay, so what was the impact of those Chinese PMI figures? Well, the data quickly reversed the short-lived bounce in the Chinese yuan after the currency yesterday appeared to finally be turning a corner in turn giving the US dollar a broad boost in relatively muted moves yesterday. And Beijing's export curbs on two widely used metals and semiconductors and electric vehicles continue to draw investor attention. And this comes just ahead of US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's visit to China. So um, aside from the US, which we said was closed yesterday, what about other market action yesterday? Well, global stock market trading was rather on the light side, all being told, with the US exchanges closed for Independence Day, as you mentioned. The major European markets ended a tad lower yesterday. The CAC 40, the DAX and the FTSE all closed around their lowest points of the day. And in a surprise move, investors appeared to be returning to property shares yesterday. Real estate generally had a good day in Europe and Swedish property manager Castellum saw its share price jump 6% yesterday after DNB Bank issued a buy recommendation. In currencies, the US dollar was weaker versus the yen and the euro, but slightly better versus sterling. And in commodities, we saw WTI crude advance 1.3%, while Brent crude traded around $76 a barrel yesterday, as oil traders considered the effects of output cuts after Saudi Arabia announced on Monday that it will prolong its 1 million barrel a day supply cut into August. Gold, meanwhile, posted a more modest gain of 0.3% as traders awaited the Fed minutes of the June meeting due out later today. Okay, and uh, now I guess uh, following those data releases in China, we should see how markets are faring over in Asia today. Perhaps you could give us an update. Yes, Asian equities are generally trading lower this morning. The Nikkei 225, the Kospi, the ASX and the Shanghai Composite are all trading in the red, while the Hang Seng is down by around 1.5%. And after India's benchmark Nifty 50 index reached a new all-time high yesterday for the fourth consecutive day, it's now trading around the zero line. And lastly, the Colombo All Shares Index is one of the few Asian markets trading in the green today, after Sri Lankan stocks jumped the most in more than a year yesterday as a plan to revamp domestic debt can eased concern over stability of its financial sector. Okay, so what should we expect for the day ahead, John T? 
Well, later today, we'll see Turkish inflation data, services PMI data releases for the UK and the Eurozone, along with Eurozone PPI data, which should give us some further clues on the state of the economy in Europe. And later this evening, we'll see US factory orders and the latest FOMC meeting minutes for the mid-June sitting, which investors will closely be watching for more clues on the Fed's next move. And a quick look at the futures board shows the US set to open in the red later today. And that's everything from me today, Bernadette. Okay, thank you for filling us in on the markets news there, John T. So the US markets might have been shut yesterday, but there's still plenty to say about them and indeed equities more generally. And that's why Mathieu Rachete is on the show today. Good morning, Mathieu. Good morning, Bernadette. So Mathieu, we've recently published the mid-year outlook and you've got the focus there on equities. Perhaps before discussing what lies ahead, you could give us your assessment of the first half of the year. Who've been the winners and the losers so far in 2023? Sure. So, you know, overall, it has been a very strong first half of the year in equity markets. So, for instance, the S&P 500 has been up almost 16%, the strongest first half of the year performance since 2019, since before the pandemic. The Nasdaq has been even up 32%. When we look below the surface on the relative winners and losers, there has been some major rotations going on. So it is actually quite the opposite picture of what happened last year. So, for instance, growth and quality stocks have largely outperformed year to date, while value and the more defensive segments of the market underperformed. In terms of sectors, um, it's especially information technology, but also communication stocks, which were at the forefront of this rally, fueled by good earnings results and also a boost coming from the rise of generative AI. On the other hand, we have energy, financials, and also the classic defensive sectors, which underperformed this year after having largely outperformed last year. Japan is a bit an outlier here. So the Nikkei index tends to be more value and cyclically oriented, but uh, still managed to claim 27% in the first half of the year. But, you know, almost half of that performance can be actually attributed to the weakness of the Japanese yen, which of course boosts the earnings of the Nikkei in local currency terms. So if we adjust that uh, for the currency move that we have seen, the performance was more in line with the US and European markets. So overall, a very strong first half of the year. And if you remember, at the beginning of the year, investors tended to be more skeptical. So the pain trade so far has been clearly been up. Okay, so you mentioned there that the leaders in this year's rally have so far have been technology and communication sectors, and they got this boost from artificial intelligence. Was the rally fundamentally justified? Yes, we think so. Um, you know, first of all, it's not only because of AI. So many just really ignore how strong actually the fundamentals improved for instance, the large cap companies followed through with the cost cutting programs and actually delivered good top line and also earnings growth against the weaker macroeconomic backdrop this year. When it comes to AI, you know, there's a lot of talk about the bubble in AI related stocks in the making. And also some investors compare the current situation with the dot com bubble in the early 2000s. We actually fundamentally disagree with that notion. Why? Because we think the current AI rally is to a large extent driven by fundamentals, or in other words, earnings, in contrast to the dot-com bubble, which was largely driven by Furic multiple expansion. So for instance, if you look at our next generation cloud computing and AI stock basket, um, it is up 58% year to date, but roughly two thirds of this performance can be explained by earnings upgrades. So, you know, overall, the fundamentals of tech and large cap communication companies continue to prove very resilient against this tough macroeconomic backdrop. And there's now a real secular catalyst with AI that is driving both sectors higher from here. Now, looking ahead, what's your view on uh, developed market equities for the second half of the year? 
So we continue to be constructive on equities overall, um, but we also expect more muted returns after the strong performance in the first half of the year. So for the second half of the year, we continue to advise clients to, to focus on quality growth companies, which will do well in an environment of peaking inflation, slowing economic activity, and lower bond yields. And this means a continued focus on the technology and communication sector. Um, we also maintain a defensive, rather defensive tilt here um, in attractive markets and those that can grow by gaining market share. So um, just some examples here. For example, personal care, but also casual dining, beverages and food retail, healthcare, and also telecommunications. Okay. Um, finally, Mathieu, coming a bit closer to home, uh, we are a Swiss bank after all. Uh, what do we think of the Swiss equity markets these days? We actually think there's a good opportunity now to increase exposure to Swiss stocks after they have underperformed during the first half of the year. The Swiss market index, the SMI, is now trading at a discount relative to the rest of developed market equities based on a 12-month forward P, despite having a more above average quality characteristics. So usually in the past, the SMI trade at the premium compared to the rest of the developed markets pack. Also, you know, Swiss equities have a factor bias towards defensive names, which is particularly beneficial in times of economic slowdown, as the earnings of high quality companies usually prove to be very resilient um, due to the market leading margins and superior pricing power. Not only that, but also in times of economic growth and low inflation, the Swiss equity market tends to do well thanks to its driving small and mid-cap landscape and its international geographic diversification. So, you know, if you look at the long-term outperformance of Swiss equities over many different investment regimes, it just speaks for itself. Okay, well, we could talk a lot longer on the topic, Mathieu, but we're out of time now. Um, but there will be a Beyond Markets podcast coming up soon on the topic of Swiss assets. So watch out for that. Well, that's it for today's podcast. I'd like to thank my guests for contributing and you for listening. Please tune in again tomorrow when Helen will be back to guide you through what's moving markets. And don't forget to listen in on Friday for the second instalment of our deep dive into equities with Kelly Char. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.